the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good evening and welcome to week four in our series, Fruitfulness on the Frontline, Becoming 6M People. If you're listening to the recording of this talk, then I'm just going to give you a heads up. There will be times for pause and reflection as we go through. And also we'll be watching a video clip towards the middle of the talk. And I'll give you the web address so that you can watch it uh, or download it uh, directly from the website. Well, I can see that many of you here, like me, wear glasses. For those of you who do, and who have children, I wonder if you've experienced the same thing I did when my girls were little. Whenever I used to come home with a new pair of glasses, not only would I get comments about the design and the colour of the frames, but they'd also want to try them on. And as soon as they put them on, they would cry out, Ugh, how can you see with these? Now, I always found that expression rather strange, because without wearing glasses, there are lots of things which I cannot see. The world around me only fully makes sense. It only comes into focus. I can only navigate life by wearing glasses. Now the reason I'm telling you this is because the theme of my talk tonight is moulding culture. And I think wearing glasses is one of the best analogies to help us understand what we mean by culture. I think of cultures as the glasses we all wear which help us make sense of the world around us. Everyone sees the world through the lenses of their own culture. Our cultures are made up of the values, beliefs and traditions which shape our behaviour. Our behaviour being the words we say and the actions we do. Our words and deeds. Now this is why people disagree sometimes about what is the right thing to do or how to respond in a specific situation. They are simply viewing the situation through different cultural glasses. What each of us understands by good behaviour is shaped by the different values, beliefs and traditions our culture holds to. This is also why it can be difficult to understand or even empathise with a person who behaves in a way so different to how we would behave in the same situation. Once again, we're judging their behaviour through our glasses and not through theirs. Now all of this naturally raises questions. What are the cultural glasses that you wear, do I wear? And what are the values, the beliefs and traditions which guide your or my day-to-day -day behaviour? Our words and deeds. So let us pause and take a few moments now to see if we can quietly identify some of the values, beliefs and traditions which guide our day-to-day behaviour. You won't be forced to share your answers, but I wonder what are your key values, beliefs and traditions? Have you ever paused to think about what drives your behaviour? Now since many of us here this evening are followers of Jesus, I'm assuming that many of the values, beliefs and traditions will be drawn from the Bible, church history and our personal experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For those here who are disciples of Jesus, I wonder if you're willing to call out an important value, belief or tradition that helps shape, if you like, your daily behaviour. 
your daily words that you say or the actions that you do. Now we're going to come back to these sources and ideas again later. But now we'll play a little bit more with the analogy of glasses. There was a time when I wore different glasses for different tasks. I wore a particular set to drive, another set for reading. And of course I had sunglasses for the odd day we have sun in the UK. Now likewise, it is possible in theory to experience or adopt different cultures and so behave differently depending upon the situations and circumstances we find ourselves in. In the work, rest and play of life. Perhaps we have a family culture. And then those who work, there may be an office culture or a company culture that we're involved in. And then there may be the golf club culture, the rugby club culture, or the book club culture. As we navigate perhaps different cultures in our daily lives, I think it might be inevitable that they will clash at times if they have different values, beliefs and traditions shaping how people are expected to behave. So why not look back over the last couple of weeks? Are you someone who is able to hold on to one culture and use it to shape your behaviour no matter where you are? Or are you the sort of person who finds themselves moving from culture to culture, behaving in different ways to fit in the dominant culture of its, each situation? Now there have been times in my own life when I've been quite uncomfortable working in a particular school, as I found the office culture or staff room culture so different from my Christian cultural views on how staff should relate and work together. And many years ago I even left a school because of this clash of cultures. But equally, as a student, I had to adopt aspects of a very different cultural setup when I worked as a hospital porter. I had so little in common with the other porters that I had to adopt aspects of their porter culture in order to work in that environment. I certainly learnt all about football and knew which newspapers had the best information. I had to watch TV to learn what was going on over the weekend so I could enter into conversation with them on a Monday morning. Well, with this understanding of culture and the using uh, the analogy of glasses, now let's turn to the Bible in some very well-known words in Matthew 5, verses 13 through to 16. As I read them, think about how they refer to the title of this talk, Moulding Culture. Matthew 5:13-16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others and they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Today's passage is found in that block of Jesus' teaching we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in the previous verses, Jesus has presented eight Beatitudes, eight attitudes to life, or eight character traits, which Jesus identifies as reflecting true or authentic discipleship for the people of God. In verses 3 to 12, Jesus is saying that these God-identified character traits 
form part of the Christian cultural glasses, which God's people should use to guide their behaviour. Much of the Old Testament tells us, reminds us, when, of the times when the people of God turned away from God and did not follow him. Instead, they adopted the values and beliefs, the culture of the nations around them. They removed their God-given cultural glasses and put on those from the surrounding nations. The Jewish exile was the result of the failure of God's people to walk with him. And so, they were forcibly walked out of the promised land. The regular cry of the Old Testament prophets highlighted the failed behaviour of the people of God. They did not behave as God's covenant people. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches, Jesus reminds those listening of the cultural values, beliefs and behaviours which God calls all his disciples to follow. The kingdom of God culture which he calls on his people to live out. So let us look in more detail at verses 13 through to 16 and explore the two metaphors he uses, salt and light. Look at verse 13 uh, with me. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt had a lot of uses in the ancient world as a fertiliser, seasoning, and even as money, but its primary use was as a preservative. Whether rubbed into meat and fish, or as rock salt caves in which food was stored to preserve it, salt had distinctive properties which made it useful, particularly in a world which didn't have fridges and freezers. Well, Jesus seems to draw a clear comparison and suggest that the people of God also have distinctive properties or for them, I would say, distinctive values, beliefs and traditions. In other words, a distinctive culture, which made them stand out in the ancient world. A culture which God called them to live out while they lived amongst nations who had very different values, beliefs and traditions. Now in this passage, there is also a strong hint of judgment and evaluation. If salt loses its distinctive properties, its saltiness, then it is no good for the roles it has in society, and so is thrown away. There is a clear implication here that if the people of God lose their distinctive God-given culture, they too will be thrown out or removed from being God's covenant people. Our behaviour, our words and actions, our words and deeds, reveal the beliefs, values and traditions which underpin them. It seems clear here that Jesus is calling the people of God to remain faithful to their God-given culture and not copy or imitate others. He calls on them to stay true to the values, beliefs and traditions which he has shown them, such as the eight Beatitudes, for example. They're not to lose their distinctiveness of being the people of God. Now, I don't know about you, but this verse challenges me to consider how consistent does my behaviour match God's kingdom culture. When I'm at work, rest and play, do I take off God's kingdom culture glasses and put on different glasses? The passage challenges you and me to look at how well our behaviour matches what we claim to value and believe about life. 
The second mat uh, metaphor of light builds on this comparison with salt and explains why changing our culture and so our behaviour as we move between work, rest and play is so damaging. Let me read verses 14 to 16 again. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glory your Father in heaven. Light is an important theme throughout the Bible. It's re regularly contrasted with darkness. Light is associated with truth and goodness in the Bible, whilst darkness is associated with being wrong, being evil and unbelief. Jesus himself declares that he is the light of the world in John chapters 8 and 9. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells those listening that the behaviour of God's people should reveal God's kingdom culture. Those values, beliefs and tradition God calls all humans to live by. If God's people remain faithful, then God through his spirit can use their faithfulness to call others out of the darkness of wrong belief and into the light of God's kingdom. For only those who live out God's kingdom culture truly worship and glorify him. If God's people simply copy the behaviour of those around them uncritically, then their distinctive light will not shine before others. Their words and deeds will not point people to God and at worst they will be called hypocrites and potentially put people off seeking God. Being a hypocrite was the theme of Paul's talk this morning. So Matthew 5 verses 13 through to 16 clearly teaches that the people of God are called to live in the light of God's kingdom culture. Their behaviour should reveal God's values, beliefs and traditions. So how do we respond to these words of Jesus as we live in Exeter in the 21st century? Well, firstly, it's important that those of us who are the people of God in Exeter know the shape and character of God's kingdom culture. We need to read or listen to the Bible regularly and get to know the values and beliefs it identifies as culture forming. We heard some examples earlier on uh, in my talk when we were reflecting but passages like the Sermon on the Mount we've already heard from, Jesus' commandment in Matthew 22 to love God and love our neighbours, Paul's description of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, Paul's comments in Romans 12, which we have studied in the morning series recently and I've just referred back to. By studying the Bible, we can see where the people of God got it right and where they got it wrong. And we can learn from both situations. Now we can also read about Christians in the past and how they sought to apply God's kingdom culture to their particular historical context. And again we can see where they got it right and where they got it wrong. Then of course we have to work out how to live this culture out in the 21st century. Particularly when our lived experience or circumstances are not specifically mentioned in the Bible. And we have to learn to work out how to agree well with each other when we come to slightly different conclusions. Well, our series, 6M People, is one way to help us do this. It offers examples and advice about how to live Christ-centred lives on our front lines. Modelling godly character, making good work, 
ministering grace and love, moulding culture, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, being a messenger of the gospel. For those unfamiliar with the phrase on our front lines, it simply means those places or times during the week when we regularly encounter people who do not know Jesus. Those who wear different cultural glasses to God's people. Now most of the six M's invite us to be an example, to reveal God's kingdom culture through our behaviour, our words and deeds. As we spend time alongside people, we can reveal our Christian distinctiveness through how we relate to them and respond to the ups and downs of life. Today's topic, moulding culture, however, I believe it encourages us, at least some of us, to go one step further. I think it challenges those of us who hold positions of power and influence on our front lines to transform or reshape the dominant culture we find there, to include elements of God's kingdom culture. Now this may be more possible for some than others. So think about your front lines. I wonder how much power or authority you have there. We're going to watch the weekly clip now and in it we're going to see Mark on his front line as he seeks to live out the six M's. If you blink you may miss the direct comment on moulding culture but as you watch the whole clip think about the opportunities Mark has to mould culture. And for those listening online if you just put into a search engine LICC 6M people, it should come up with a link to uh, watch a number of video clips and just scroll down and find uh, Mark's example. Having watched the clip, can anyone summarise what was specifically mentioned about moulding culture? Yes, a culture of trust or honesty or integrity. That was something Mark wanted to deliberately bring to his business plan, his business model. Because Mark is not simply using people to make money. He's not willing to say or do anything simply to gain a profit. Mark values the people he works for and those who work for him. As the owner of the business, Mark can make decisions about how to run his business, which his staff have to follow. Mark can mould the culture of his business along God's kingdom lines, within the parameters of the law, of course. Because he's the boss, he decides what goes. Policies on how staff are treated, employment contracts, salaries, well-being and holidays, decisions about work environmental policies, etc. Because Mark has the power and authority to mould the working environment, others staff and clients are introduced to God's kingdom values. They may be puzzled and ask questions about why this company, Mark's company, is different. He may get them to reflect on their own cultural values and beliefs. Now of course you might say it's easy for Mark to do this since he owns the company. But I wonder for those of you still working how much influence you have in shaping office culture. For much of my education based working life, I was in middle management as the head of departments. I line managed a team of teachers or admin staff and as head of the staff room at one stage I was responsible for the culture of the staff room and general staff behaviour. My career has allowed me to influence office culture, to introduce aspects of God's kingdom culture into everyday office culture. 
I was particularly able to introduce and build up one of the key values which lies at the heart of God's kingdom culture. That all people are made in the image of God and therefore equally loved by God, equally valued. I wanted to subvert some common cultural ways people are evaluated or valued. God's kingdom culture teaches that our value as humans does not come from what we do, how much we earn, how many people we manage, how successful we are at our job, how many qualifications we have, whether we went to university or not, never mind whether which university we went to. Our value as humans does not depend on what we have achieved, but on what God has. When God chose to create us in his image, to love us and rescue us from the mess we've got ourselves in as damaged, distorted and sinful people, God's desire to meet and relate to us gives us value. We can't earn value. We're given it. So my challenge to all of us this week is to reflect on our front lines. What do you like about the culture of your front line and what don't you like? Are that you in a position to change its culture, subvert it, mould it by introducing aspects of God's kingdom culture? either from the bottom up through personal examples of how you live and operate in that culture or from the top down through policy changes and influence because you have power and authority. Can you use that power and authority to help transform the lives of those around you? Now let me end with these words. Let your light shine before others so that those on your front line may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen.